All right. Good morning. Good seeing you guys this morning. Uh, love that encouragement, Pastor Chris. Wow. That was really good. Hey, I've got the mic now. So I just want to shout out right back to you the way uh, this is in all sincerity, the way you've handled yourself through this transition, stepping out in faith. Uh, it's an encouragement to me, to us, uh, to our church. And so can we just share that appreciation of Pastor Chris and Hannah right now. You guys are so loved. I love it. Love that we'll have some moments uh, in the coming weeks just as we get to, to send them into what's next. That's really what it is, ascending. Uh, and it's just exciting. We're excited for the future uh, of what's next, for their future, uh, and realize that God is in all of it. Uh, he's in all of it. So uh, just honored to be able to come up here to, uh, to, to share a word, a message with us this morning. Uh, just want to introduce uh, a bit. Many of you, I know some of you, I uh, haven't got a chance to know you yet. And so I uh, just want to share super uh, quickly about my family. Uh, my wife sitting right here on the front row, Renee. We've been married 12 years, and um, uh, Renee is one of the funniest and for sure the most relatable person that I know. So uh, everybody who likes her or meets her likes her, and then they're like, how did, what are you guys doing together? Like, what, how did, they don't get it. They don't get it, and I don't either, so thanks for sticking with me, babe. Uh, We got a couple of kids. Emma's eight, passionate, creative, loves to lead. Uh, Davey's five years old, and he uh, starting kindergarten, and he's excited about it, so he's a builder, he's a thinker very literal. And, uh, and we have a third baby coming on the way, October 31st. You're doing all the work, babe. That's for you. That was for you. All that clapping. So love it. Uh, today we get to jump in. This is part five of our series, Kingdom Culture. This has been a great, a great topic, a great series uh, based on a book, Dennis Rouse. And so we've sold out of them. We got more. We sold out again. Now you just got to go online and buy it if you want, if you want more of this. But uh, just 10 qualities that move us from a believer to a disciple. Uh, and so the quality we're looking at today uh, is being governed by the authority of God's word. We're looking at God's word, why it matters, why as disciples, uh, as followers of Jesus, what is the role God's word plays in our life? How do we walk in it in a greater and greater way? So I'm excited about that topic. Uh, I love this. This is something too. If you're at the end of this, uh, uh, this message today, you say, I want to learn more about this. Uh, I would direct you to something called Alpha. We'll be launching it again uh, in September. Alpha is a great way to understand your faith. Why do I believe? What's it built on? And so uh, I, I've got some things from Alpha that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, dispersing in this message as well. And so uh, just excited about it. But for me, my journey with the Bible uh, is one that when, when I was 14 years old, when I, when I committed my life to Jesus and when I fully was walking in his ways, what, that what clicked for me, what changed for me was that that was the first time that I was actually reading the word of God. Uh, so read through the New Testament when I was 14. It radically changed my life. I grew up in church, but there was something where my faith became my own when I took that step and said, no, I don't just want to hear about this. I want to, I want to have it inside written in my own heart. And so that's a bit of my own story. Uh, and so when you, but when you back up, I, I'm like a lot of you that the first Bible I got was a little intimidating, right? So the first Bible, first one I was given, uh, it was thicker than I thought it would be. It was heavier than I expected. Uh, and so there was, there was more to it. Uh, so many books, I didn't quite know what to do with it, right? And so as you can say, it was, it was mapped, it was wrapped, it had everything looking like it was all figured out, but it was a bit of mystery on the inside. Uh, and so it took me time to kind of understand it. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one in that boat. Uh, and so I remember, uh, just to illustrate this for you, I, I remember the first Bible I got, we were, uh, I grew up, I'm a total church kid. So we were, it was like, we went to church every Sunday, Sunday school attendance award, the whole deal. Uh, and so I'm sure it's, it's still legendary, you know, my home church growing up. But, but I'm, so uh, all the time at church. And so I got this Bible, I'm supposed to bring it every week. And I remember telling my mom, 
Mom, I, it's so heavy. Like, you got me this Bible, like, I, this, and they, I don't know if they were just heavier back then. I was probably really weak, but I'm going, this, it's heavy. And so my mom takes the ugliest piece of brown leather, actually red leather, probably this was the 90s, you can imagine, and she sewed a handle on that Bible cover for me. So she's like, now, now it's mapped, it's wrapped, and it's handled, and it's ready for you to take it where you need. And so I share that. It's kind of a cheesy illustration, but uh, I share it because my goal today is that we could help find some handles for Scripture, right? Because there's a lot of mystery in between the pages. There can be a lot of, uh, there's a lot of confusion. There can be a lot. We're not going to solve everything today, but, but if we can recognize, look, this is something that God wants us to understand. He's revealed himself to us through his word, and so we want to dig into it together as a church. You guys ready for that? Love it. Oh, I love that. You guys are ready. Uh, this is perfect. So, uh, when I, this is a bit of my story, but I look at you guys. Many of you are in the same boat. You'd say, I, there's some mystery here. And some of the questions people ask are, is it relevant? All right, is, can I trust it? Uh, where did it come from? Why was it written? What am I supposed to do with it? Uh, and so you would not be alone in having those type of questions. In fact, Barna uh, Research just came out uh, just in the last year about a, a, a study of how Americans view the Bible. And two-thirds of Americans, this is not just Christians, but two-thirds of all Americans, they view the Bible as, or they are Bible curious, all right? Two-thirds are Bible curious. Six out of 10 say the Bible has transformed their life in some way or another. Yet it's, it's less than 27%, so just over a quarter of people that are frequent Bible users. So many people say, it's, it's valuable, I know it's precious, but I don't know how to use it, but, or I don't take the time or the intention to use it. And so today I'd love to give handles today to help understand what are we supposed to do. And so uh, I want to uh, kind of divide this up with questions, common questions people ask uh, about scripture, about God's word, uh, and just the principles behind them that we're going to dig into together. And the first one is people often ask, where does it come from? Right? Where does the Bible come from? And the question they're asking is one of inspiration. All right? When you ask that question, you're asking, what is inspiration? What does it mean to have uh, the Word of God be inspired by God? And something that's helpful to recognize is the Bible is not simply one book. The Bible is, it's really a library. It's a collection of books. There's 66 books, uh, and each of them uh, was inspired by a different author. Each of them came to path differently, but yet all of them are considered inspired by God. And we see this in 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, and I'm gonna read out of the passage translation, a newer translation that uh, I think evokes something great uh, in this. And it says, every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. So there's a commissioning that happens here. All right, what, what Paul is saying in this letter, this is one of his pastoral letters he's writing to Timothy and he's reminding him, he says, look, all scripture, everything you've been taught, all of it is inspired by God, right? Which means it was breathed, right? Just like the spirit is the breath of God. It was breathed into existence. God inspired the authors. He was in the midst of it. Uh, and because the reality is if this collection of books, if this Bible, uh, if it was only written by human authors, if it was not inspired by God, it would simply be an old wise book. And we have a lot of those. We don't need another one, right? It would simply be an old and wise book. But what makes it the word of God is the fact that God is the author, that he inspired it uh, and he inspired all of it. 
I'm going to explain this a little bit or try to illustrate it with, uh, there's this, this uh, architect from Great Britain, Sir Christopher Wren. And so he's passed away a long time ago. Uh, but in the 1700s, uh, he designed and built uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And for 250 years, it took 35 years to build this. For 250 years, this was the tallest building in the entire city of London. So I've never been to London. Uh, I'd love to see it someday, but uh, I've heard it's just this beautiful building, beautiful creation. So 250 years, the tallest. Think about the stature of a building like this, and you can assign it as this guy built it, this guy designed it, uh, he gets the credit, right? But uh, here's the reality of it. Even though he organized the entire construction, beginning to end, he never laid a single stone. Not one stone, but yet we say, look, he was the designer. He was the builder. Uh, and, and imagine that's just through him as a human. How much greater when God says, I breathe this into existence. We can trust that, hey, we may not understand all of how it works, even though he used human hands, but he inspired it. He brought it into being. It is an inspiration for us. And I would say, as you look at scripture through the ages, the effect it's had on people would, would prove the test of time to say there's something in it. There's an inspiration here because God is timeless and so is his word. His word is timeless as well. Then another question people ask is, is why does it exist? They want to know why does scripture exist? Why does the Bible uh, exist? And really you're asking a question about purpose. What is the purpose of God's word? Uh, and, and, and I can tell you this, it's not for more information in our life. Right? There was a recent study done that, that, uh, talking about how much information we have. And in the last 30 years, just in a 30-year window, uh, the information the average person takes in daily has increased fivefold. Has increased fivefold, whether that's images, that's messages, that's news, that's uh, the emails from everything that you receive, it's increased fivefold your information. Yet, here's the truth. The reality is that people still crave truth. All right, information does not bring more truth. Truth is truth. And if you want to find truth, uh, we have to look at the authority of God's word as it points to Jesus. And so John chapter 18, uh, verse 37, there's uh, this really insightful interaction Jesus is having with Pilate. Uh, so this is, this is towards the end of Jesus's life and uh, before he was crucified. And then verse 37 says, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. And I asked him not to put the rest of the verse up there because I, I want to pause here for a second because Jesus is making a pretty incredible statement. Uh, he says, for this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I came into the world. There's a pretty incredible thing that he's saying. And he says, to testify to the truth, right? Or to bear witness to the truth. And so when he's saying, why did I come? What's my purpose? He said, to bear witness to the truth. And if, if God's word, all right, illuminates who God is, if it points to God, then his word does the same thing. It's to show us the truth. And you can ask, well, what is truth? And you may ask that question, the very next verse, that's what Pilate asks him. He hears the statement, he recognizes it's a big deal, and he says, what is truth? And classic Jesus, he doesn't answer, <laughs> right? Anyone ever felt that way? Like, why didn't you just tell me more clearly? But uh, here's the thing, Jesus, four chapters earlier in John 14, he actually answered that question ahead of time. In John chapter 14, uh, many of you are familiar with this passage, in verse six, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus already proclaimed uh, that he is truth. So Pilate was asking, what is truth? Looking to find a thing. And Jesus, Jesus was declaring he is truth. And there's, there's something pretty uh, amazing about that, knowing that when you can find truth uh, in the midst of all the information, in the midst of all the, uh, the bites and the, and, the, and the conversations and the pieces of information to find truth, that's something that's irreplaceable. 
It's something that cannot be overcome. So God's word speaks to the truth of who God is. So it's the map, it's the mirror, it's the sword, it's the written expression of God, right? The very written expression. In fact, Rick Warren says it like this. He says, reading the Bible generates life. It produces change. It heals hurts. It builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy. It overcomes adversity. It it defeats temptation. It infuses hope. It releases power and it cleanses the mind. And if if you're like me, you want to get in on that. (laughs) I want to get in on that. I want to say, God, I need more of that. I need to be cleansed. I need to be restored. I need to be set free. I need that in my life. And the way God has revealed that to us, the path to him is found consistently through his inspired word of God. That's where we find it. And so you ask what the purpose is. The purpose of scripture is that it points to Jesus. If I could come as simple as possible, it's that it points to our savior. It points to our creator. It points the way for us to go. Another question uh, that we have is, is why should I submit to it? All right, so maybe I understand uh, a little more about why it was created or how it was inspired, but, but why, why should I submit to it? Why is it an authority in my life? And that's really a question people are asking is one of authority. In Hebrews 4.12, reads this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Right? So when we recognize that the, the, the word of God is sharp, it's a sword, it's powerful, and it's alive. I love that word that the author of Hebrews is describing here, that the word of God is alive for us. There's something authoritative, not just for all of us, but it becomes very individual as God speaks to us, that we walk in that authority. In short, the Bible is authoritative because it contains everything needed to experience salvation. That's why, because it contains everything that's needed to experience salvation. I am confident that if I handed someone the gospel of John or the New Testament, or I gave somebody the Bible that that upon reflection, they would find the Savior. And how many people, how many people have found him over time? Now, that's not to say we don't want to give tools and handles of how to read it, but there's something where the truth stands on its own. And it's authoritative for us. It's authoritative for me. And that's what kingdom culture is all about is realizing that I don't, I don't want scripture to bend to my will so that I'm the authority and it bends to me. If it's the authority, my life bends to it. My life bends to it. And I want to illustrate this. Uh, there's a, a conversation at sea, right, between two countries, between Americans and Canadians. Sorry if there's any Canadians in the room here. But um, so this conversation at sea, these pilots are talking on the radio and the American says, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadians say, please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The American says, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadian says, no, which was very hard for them to say, I'm sure. Canadian says, no, I say again, you divert your course. The American says, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States fleet, three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels accompany us. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north or countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of this ship. To which the Canadian replies, we're a lighthouse, your call, right? And so there's, in the battle between the USS Lincoln, this massive, and I'm sure a made-up story, but in the battle between this, 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 this encounter, right, no matter how big, how looming, how large uh, this aircraft carrier, this ship seems, it's nothing compared to a solid coastline, right? It's nothing compared to, and, and I like that it's a picture of a lighthouse, 
Because a lighthouse is something that, it doesn't move, right? It's, but it's something that points and it shines light into the darkness. And I want you to know that God's word shines light into the dark places. And that when I seek that light, my light is bending towards truth and it's bending towards light. And if I try to find, fit it into my life without sacrificing my dreams, my visions, my goals for my life, I'm gonna miss the richness of what God is leading me to do. All right, and so it's something that is authoritative in our life because it points to Jesus, because it frees us, because it brings us hope. So that's why the Bible is an authority in our life. Another question people have is, can I trust it? Can I trust it? They're asking is, they wanna know if it's reliable. Is it accurate? If, 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 how do you know that it's not just made up? Is what it say, does what it says really what really happened? Right, and we, we cover this in Alpha um, uh, really well, but... Um, uh, if I wanted to just t- try to share a bit of it with you is to, uh, to understand, and, and I'm not going to go into all the whys. This will just take a little bit of, uh, I'm telling you, trust the Bible because I'm asking you to trust it. It'll be a little bit of that uh, right now. But in short, honestly, the scripture, God's word, the Bible is the best attested work in antiquity. It just is. When you think about how many copies there are, how old those copies are, as, you, as, as many of you know, uh, the Bible, the printing presses are only an invention of the last five, 600 years, right? So you didn't just have this guaranteed copy that looked the same. So people copied by hand, by hand, by hand, right? And so uh, in a game of hand copying, the oldest copy is best. The oldest one is best. Uh, and, and how old the copies are, specifically, let's talk to the New Testament, and how many copies there are, uh, nothing else in all of antiquity holds a candle to how uh, accurate scripture is, right? We don't often question, well, what about this written uh, by the ancient Greeks? Or we don't often question, do, they, do we really know what happened to the Roman Empire? Did it really exist? Well, if you believe that, there's way more, way more uh, accuracy in what scripture says than there is about what was written about other things during that time. And so it's incredibly reliable, right? And so the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus is incredibly reliable. We can trust it. We can recognize that it's real. Jesus appeared to 500 witnesses, okay? He has four gospels written about him. Uh, To to have a person of that era have more than one thing written about them is unreal, that they've survived through this time, that they're verified as being as old as they are. Uh, And so the, the fact that four gospels written, the fact that he appeared to that many people, many, many other things, it points to the fact that we can't just write off, well, can I really trust it? Well, I can tell you this, it's easier to trust this than just about anything else. Uh, just about anything else. And a lot of things that are even not as old are not as well attested. And so here's the bottom line of it. John 20, 29 says this. Then Jesus told them, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. There is something there that even though, even though, even though God has done hard work through history to show us that what we have is accurate, what we have is good. Uh, he still says, look, I know it takes a bit of faith. I know there's a bit of faith and he says, and I love that he recognizes that faith in us and says, hey, for you disciples, this is pretty easy for you because you see me. He says, how much more difficult for those who can't see me, but yet he's gonna honor that faith. He's gonna honor that faith in so many things until, until we put our faith in it, we can't trust the integrity of it, right? And so many of you, you sat down in your chairs, never thinking, is this chair gonna break on me today, right? Now that's a thought that's just gonna fester for the rest of the service, but you don't know it until you actually sit down on it. And then once you sit down on it, you're like, okay, I'm putting faith and now trust comes along with faith, all right? And so those things, they, they work together, they go in a cycle. And so can I trust it? The Bible is incredibly reliable. The last question is, how should I read it? Basically, this is what should I do with it, 
right? What am I supposed to do with scripture? How am I going to interact with it? Uh, and, and my goal is that this is, a, this is less a defense uh, of scripture, but more a call to explore it. All right, because we could spend an entire message on the authority of God's word, on the reliability of God's word, how it came to be, how it was inspired. Uh, but the reality is I want us to, to see that, that uh, instead of just arguing ideas, that God calls us to explore. This is the God that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the God that says, here I stand at the door knocking. This is a God that is an invitational God. And he's revealed to us the path, the best path to him is his inspired word. And so if we take that up, if we take up that, uh, that challenge, then we will recognize that, uh, that it's a call to explore, to explore him. James chapter one, uh, verses 22 through 25, it reads, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And we get this great analogy that it's not just about, it's not just about looking in a mirror, right? And then walking away and forgetting, but it's about not just learning, not just sitting here in a, in a seat and listening, but doing but walking, but exploring, not only what God says, but putting it into practice in our life. And I love that word practice because here's my philosophy on it, right? How do we engage in scripture? If I, this is my own version, you may have another one, but uh, I think what God is asking from us is not perfection, but practice. He doesn't want perfection from us. He doesn't need perfection from us. Uh, in fact, it's out of our weakness that we're made strong, but he wants practice. He wants to know, hey, today, are you pursuing me? It's about today. It's not because many of us, you can be in this room, you can say, you, you maybe don't think you have what it takes to teach, to share, to even know your own faith well enough, maybe because of what you think you know about the Bible. But, but it, God doesn't give us a test. What he says is, are you pursuing? He wants to know if we're a people that are pursuing him, right? And so, uh, I, I, so I'm a parent, I got a couple of kids and uh, someone gave me this advice early in parenting. And I think even though I have trouble holding to it, I think it's true. They said that a lot of parenting uh, is encouraging your kids for doing things approximately right. I'm like, there is so much approximately right that happens in, uh, in our house. And, uh, and when, you think about, uh, when you think about kids, I, I love my children, right? And I want them to do things well. But in order for them to do things well, they have to keep trying. They have to keep at it. They have to keep pursuing. And so my job is to help, help them, encourage them to keep going even when they're not perfect, right? Because if I demand perfection on them, it shuts them down. But if I want to move them forward, I want, to, I, want to, I want to encourage them to keep stepping forward, that they would pursue something. And I would rather see my kids try something, fail, and try it again than try something, fail, and put it down. That's what I, and you, and you know that that's the heart of a parent. Uh, and so you may not be a parent in the room, but you've seen this or you recognize it. When you see someone that you want to build up, that's the heart of what God wants to do is to explore his word. God's word is meant to be explored. So that's what I want to do just uh, in, the, in the next little bit. I want to give a couple of best practices that I have. And then, uh, and then I want to take the last few minutes and talk and, 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 and share with you my process in SOAP, right? And so I thought uh, instead of just talking about it, I wanted to show you a little bit of what God recently this morning has taught me uh, through his word. And so uh, a few things to keep in mind uh, about some best practices, right? So some of the hows, those of you that love nuts and bolts, I'm giving you two minutes. Here you go. Hope that you love it. But uh, the Bible is largely a self-interpreting book. What that means is stay at it, okay? What that means is, is uh, be encouraged, keep practicing, keep reading it. Because often when you read this, it connects to this and then connects to this, okay? So the main things God wants to communicate, he leaves right on top of the page for us. 
We don't have to search hard to find out God is love. It's not hidden deep in scripture, right? It's a huge theme that's written. And so the Bible is largely self-interpreting. He, he wants us to find what it is. And when you're going to dive in, follow the, follow the path of soap. We'll talk about soap. Uh, but at the least, make sure, start at the New Testament. Okay, start at the New Testament. Start at Matthew. Start at John. Uh, start earlier. I'd say uh, another thing is it's too important to read alone. Uh, to only read alone, I should say. If the only time you open your Bible is by yourself, you're missing the richness of what happens when you engage in Scripture with other people. As a family, in a life group, with coworkers, you, you can miss something that happens. And last thing I'd say is if you really want to know your Bible, this one's scary a little bit for you, okay? But if you really want to know your Bible, teach it. Teach it. And I'm not saying I know it really well, but I can tell you I know it better when I'm forced to teach it to somebody else. And so if you haven't served in Go Kids and you're not teach, if, if, if you want to learn how to, how to teach the Bible, teach in a classroom in Go Kids and find out, I'm, I need to learn it. I need to learn this so that I can teach this. Uh, if you're not doing devotions with your family or with, uh, in a life group or with other people, uh, volunteer to teach a week, lead a life group, do something that, that, that causes you to have to step out and teach and learn. I promise you it's a little uncomfortable, but God uses it to help you grow, to help you grow. So uh, I want to take a look at soap here. Uh, and here's what I did. Uh, today's soap, uh, Revelation 3 through 5. And I'm going to explain what soap is. Some of you are like, what is soap? You've said this a few times. I don't know what it is. Uh, soap is the method we use as a church to walk through Scripture together. Right? And it's fun because all of our campuses, all of our locations, uh, we're all walking through the same chapters together. Usually two to three chapters a day that we walk through using a, a, a tool called soap. We didn't come up with it, but we embrace it. Uh, and soap stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. Right? And so we, we recognize, maybe we take, uh, let's say there's, there's three chapters as an example today in soap. I got my soap journal right here. There's three chapters uh, in soap today. So Revelation 3, 4, and 5. And I read through these chapters. And then I'm journaling about it. All right? and, and I take the scripture, I put a verse or a few passages that stand out to me, and I write them down in my journal. All right? And then uh, I make observations about them. All right, so I may observe things about them that stand out to me, questions that I have, things I want to pursue further, things I'm wondering about. I observe and I do everything I can. I'm rereading, I'm looking at context. And then application is I'm writing, God, what are you speaking to me about? Remember, his word is active, it's alive, it's speaking to us. God, what are you speaking to me? I want to apply this to my life. And then I seal it in prayer. And the last thing is, is saying, God, uh, let's seal this. I'm ready, this is you, you're speaking to me. Here's what we should do. And we pray together. And there's something special that happens in soap. And I want to share, I want to go through soap with you today because I don't just want to talk about this, but I want to show you uh, a little bit of what soap can look like. This is just, for me, you may have a little different version, but uh, from Revelation uh, 3, 4, and 5, I wrote down uh, uh, from Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Right? And I want to read this to you guys. Uh, I didn't write all that in my journal, so I got to pull it out here. Wouldn't that be great if I did? That'd be awesome. Revelation 3, um, I think we're going to have it on the screen for you as well. Did you know opening a Bible with one hand and a microphone is hard? <laughs> there, so you can laugh while I awkwardly do it. Um, so Revelation 3, this is uh, the message to the church in Laodicea. Verse 14 says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. I love that. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. 
and also white garments for me. Also buy white garments for me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door. This is what I wrote down in my soap in my journal today. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me in my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who hears, who has ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Guys, I want you to know there is, there is something every single time that if you are willing to open up your heart, that God will speak to you about. I firmly believe this. There's something that he will speak to you about every single time. And so in my soap, I wrote that down about standing at the door and knocking. That's the verse that, that stuck out to me. And I maybe have read it before, but that's not the point because God is something fresh for me. And so I write that and I write some observations. And I say, God sees me as a friend. All right, he says, I want to sit down with you and we can eat as friends. I wrote down that he knocks, but he doesn't force the door open. I wrote down, Jesus seriously liked to eat. That's, a, that's truth, right? Uh, I put down that indifference can be a sin. In verse 19, he's reminded that I want you to be hot or cold, but to return from your indifference. I wrote down that we're, we're wretched and blind and naked, but Jesus clothes us. He clothes me and I can't do it on my own. And I can't do it on my own, but he pursues me. He clothes me. He sets me up and knocks on the door because he wants to eat with me. No matter how my week went, my day went, no matter what I've been walking through, he wants to eat with me. And it's the same thing for you. And so the prayer I want to pray for this verse, for this passage in soap, is a prayer that I think, uh, it's a prayer for all of us. And I left this part blank because I knew that I wanted to go through this with you guys. And I want to pray this prayer. And we're going to do this a little differently. I'm going to ask you just right where you're at, respectfully to stand right where you are as we pray together. We're starting to close this service, but I don't want to go past this moment to seal not only what God wants to do in this message, in his word, but even in this moment, as, as what he can share in soap for one person that can be shared to many, many others, I want you to hear that God speaks to you so that it can be shared with others and used and he has a fresh word for you today. And so Jesus, I thank you because Lord, in a moment like this, when we get to practice just a method, a soap is simply a method, but God, it, it, I pray that you would illuminate new things to us, God, that what we observe would be a new and fresh perspective, that what we want to apply would be things that we didn't think, God, you could even lead us in that would be possible, but you are the God who says, I will clothe you. I will redeem you. I will, I, will, I will cover you. That is who you are. And you're a God who stands at the door and you knock. And Lord, my application, our application is that we open the door, that that door is opened and that we invite you in. Lord, because you want to eat with us, you want to share a meal with us because you love us. And I pray that we would be a people that, that lean into your word that we'd be a people that see scripture as personal, as alive, as active in our life because you are a God who is alive and personal and active in our life. And I pray that when we worship you, you are not a God who is dead. You are not a God who is distant, but you are a God who is near, whose presence uh, overflows out of our cup, pressed down, shaken together, pouring out God more than we can contain because you are a God who is uncontainable and you're the God that we lift up and worship today. Come eat with us today, God. We worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen and amen. Church, let's lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Come on.